Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of Entrepreneur on Fire. Jeff, could you maybe laugh just a little bit less? Come on, man. Hello, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for hanging out with me for yet another episode of Vroom Vroom Veer. So today, my guest is Brad Zales. He is a global business advisor and the foremost authority on generational issues and workforce cultural culture strategies. But he's also hilarious. He did like eight years of stand-up, com- uh, stand-up comedy. Um, we're going to talk a lot about Gen X because we're all Gen Xers. I'm a Gen Xer. And the difference between um, Gen Xers, Boomers, and the new kids on the block, the Millennials, and how that's uh, changing how people uh, get together in school and at work, and uh, and the opportunities that that, uh, working together uh, in the new model uh, that the Millennials like versus the old school... um, do it, shut up and do what you're told. <laughs> this is a lot of fun. Uh, we laugh quite a bit and uh, we talk about everything from uh, Star Wars and Star Trek to uh, Christopher Walken impersonations and it's just a blast. So get ready, strap in. This is a blast. This is a lot of fun. My chat with Brad Zales of liquidleadership.com and uh, enjoy. Are you ready to thoughtfully steer away from your revved up, frenzied, and far too often scripted life? Then welcome to Vroom Vroom Veer with Jeff Smith, where he guides you down the road differently traveled by sharing unique experiences with guests who have managed to shift away from a life stuck on cruise control and veered their way into a more authentic and fulfilling one in all sorts of interesting and kind of remarkable ways. Get ready to Vroom Vroom Veer with your differently traveled road chauffeur, Jeff Smith. Hey Brad, thanks for being here. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, and we're both having uh, outdoor noises because uh, the weather is uh, is fine there in New York City where you're at, and, and in LA, it's yes. uh, we didn't get our uh, June gloom thing going on today. We didn't get the marine layer, so it's it's already getting hot here too. <laughs> Good, good. I'm outside in the pool house, but I also have a fan going. That'll tell you how humid it is out here. And um, I'm not chirping yet, but it's coming. I hear birds chirping, which is awesome. Yeah, it's right down the, the road. I I'm love here it. in Long Island, Long Island, New York. I love it. So mm-hmm. tell us tell us your thoughts on uh, on vrooming and veering and vroom, vroom, veer. Well, uh, when I when you asked me to come on the show, I, l- I looked up Vroom Vroom Veer and I just went, you've got to be kidding. This is how I've lived my entire life, basically. And cool. uh, I don't know I don't know about anybody who's listening, but uh, I'm a baby boomer. And my father had this great speech when I was a kid and he looked me dead in the eye and he says, you know what, kid? Two thirds of your waking life is going to be spent working. So you better figure out what you love to do. <laughs> That's so, awesome. Yeah. I, <laughs> You're so lucky. I, I thought, yeah, I thought everybody was raised that way. And at 16, I, I started my first business. And uh, don't be impressed by that, but uh, because <laughs> I I had to start the business because my father. Remember, it was the 70s, and my father made it so hard to ask for 20 dollars from him. It was easier to start a business. Okay, <laughs> that's great. I think, that's good. I think about that. My father is a. F- First generation, born here from Hungary, and he just was tough on on everybody, even my friends when they came over. So it was easier to start a business at that time. But what I didn't realize, uh, and now that I've grown up, uh, at least I think I've grown up a little. I've come to realize that not everybody was raised that way. Uh, I went to college like everybody else, but I majored in uh, graphic design and creative direction for the advertising space and things like that. And when I got out of college, I worked uh, 
for several corporations for about four or five years, and then I decided I have to go freelance. It was one of the few uh, business sectors where you could do that. You could automatically be a consultant, go in, hands-on. And I loved it because you were almost like a sailor, a merchant marine. You could go from place to place. Yeah. And sometimes and I would project work Project-based, you know. Right, right. Yeah. Project-based. You're part of a team. Uh, you're hired because you're talented. You have to be the very best. You cannot slack on what you're doing. And you got to totally get in it. there and know people. Right. So for me, I had the best of both worlds because I hate corporate politics. Yeah. I hate being uh, put into the bottom of a pyramid uh, and having to work my way up to prove myself every time. So inwardly, I would just look for studios that would book me for long periods of time. And so I would work at a company sometimes for nine months, three months, four months, and uh, doing corporate events like large scale, you know, $2 million big screen, big budget shows for pharmaceutical companies and car companies and things like that. So they had longer bookings. And what happened, and this was a really great part of this, is I could also get a month off. Now, I was exhausted <laughs> because yeah. we would work till 3 o'clock in the morning sometimes. Sure. And we'd have to fly somewhere and people would say, oh, man, you went to Laguna Niguel in California. You must have had a great time. And I go, you see how pasty white I am? We spent four <laughs> days in a ballroom. Please don't think I had a vacation while I was out there. Right. And, and it was hard work, but uh, I could uh, rest and I could work on other projects and things like this because uh, at heart, I was an entrepreneur. And you can't fight that. That's something that's innate in somebody. And some of you who are listening right now, you're kind of getting that feeling that mm, you're tired. You're tired of working for somebody else. You're tired of answering to someone else. Maybe you want to try something new or maybe you don't want to try something new. You just feel there's a um, winds of change. Let's yeah. Yes, that. It's a wave. In the air, right. It's a wave, baby. Right. And and this is part of the work I do, Jeff, which is I go in to help corporations uh, really understand how employees have changed. They are demanding a better work environment. Customers have changed. They're not brand loyal anymore. Um, and the greatest sidebar of everything I do, and this is why I love uh, you know what you do, uh, is is – I had parents coming up to me after my presentation, and these are executives. These are male and female, grandparents, parents. They came up to me, and they look me in the eye, and they're crying. And I go, what? What happened? What did I do? And right. they go, I now understand why my 40-year-old son rides a skateboard and plays video games and is still single. I thought I failed as a mother. I thought Aww. I failed as a father. I thought, right. yes, exactly. Right. So right. this has become the byproduct because uh, for me, I, uh, when I was writing my first book, Liquid Leadership, I thought I had too much in there about the generational divide and what caused it. And I started to realize as it got published and it's been out, people really don't understand their adult kids. Uh, yeah. Anybody who's listening right now, your parents probably love you. Maybe they're a little bit of a friend to you or a mentor. They're guiding you, but they really don't understand you. And you are the first generations where you didn't assimilate into the older thinking uh, that everybody else lived on in the past. So uh, this is the huge shift. It's changed behavior. It's changed habits. It's changed everything. And so I am so jazzed that you have me on the show today because this is what I do. It's like, you know, we're buddies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Um, when I saw you and your stuff and I started reading it, uh, I it, it, a lot more things made sense. Um you know, long term, and then just just immediately, like the last, so say like since uh, April till mm -hmm. last week, I was working in an elementary school. Right. Okay. And so, and I don't have kids, so this is the first time I've been in a, an elementary school since I went to elementary school, basically. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this I had so familiar. <laughs> I, I, I had no reason to go. So I had lots of notes. First off, kids are great and it's fun to be around them. You know, they're just full of energy and full of life, you know. Um, but the, the school that I went to was kind of in that uh, lower income demographic in Inglewood. Okay. Right. And they have not caught on there to this student centered education model. Right. And so they still have that old school, you know, sit still, shut up sort of model. <laughs> 
And Sit down, shut up, and listen. You exactly. Pass. You know, and and I could tell just walking around that that whole idea is over. It's right. not. It's not going to work. It's not like you can choose and pick. It's just not going to work. No, and, and it's, it's not, not serving anybody. It's not serving the teachers. It's not serving the kids. Definitely not serving the parents. You know. Um, so yeah, I was, so that, that, that fascinated me and it made me want to talk to you more. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about Star Wars because I know that, uh, it's like the modern myth. Um, and, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Joseph Campbell at all. Oh, big time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And he used, uh, Star Wars and actually talked to George Lucas and, and basically said, you know, you've, you've made uh, a modern myth story here. Uh, and he did it intentionally. So talk a little yes. bit about uh, your work and, and how Star Wars, a movie uh, in 1977, basically changed the world. It, it did. I know. And, 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 and I know some of you are listening going, what the hell are these guys talking about? You know, that sort of thing. Which um, is okay. Yeah. That's why you uh, tune in. <laughs> let's, let's go back in time just a little bit. I'll try to make this brief. Uh, if you were, you know, coming out of World War II and you went to the movies, you would see Buck Rogers in the 23rd century. And you'd see this string holding the ship as it went through the air. <laughs> They're still fun you know, to go back and watch. Hey, it's wobbling. But we, we suspended disbelief and said, yeah, I can't wait to have laser guns and, you know, all these things and sure. destroy Emperor Ming, you know. And go me, so, Right. <laughs> but what, what people don't realize is those old Buster Crabtree, you know, films, uh, they were only seen in industrialized nations that had electricity. Oh, makes okay. sense. Right. Then along came Star Trek. Now, if you look at that, you know, I'm a boomer. People don't know this, but about 50% of NASA scientists became NASA scientists because they watched Star Trek. And this influenced them. They wanted to create that world. But again, those were only the influences that took place in the industrialized nations. And by the way, Star Trek, I believe, was seen in like Spain and places like this. And they had redone it and dubbed it over in, in other languages. You know, yeah, con yeah. your bones, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I want to go back and see some of that. I am, you know. Um, <laughs> so, you know, this this was pockets, but 1977 was a huge shift because from that moment on, Star Wars set the tone for how films would be made, and it created a ubiquitous idea in our head that the human race could conquer all, and it showed us physically how to use uh, digital pads, robots, technology, holograms, Wi-Fi networks at a time when we were using dial-up phones. Right. Okay. And when the telephone uh, was actually a phone. Yes. Not, a, actually, not a, a mobile computer. <laughs> yes. Yes. And so what happened is uh, now people will, will argue with me about that and that's fine uh, because, but we, what happened is we had a huge shift that took place from 1977 on where all the top blockbuster movies were science fiction driven. So you have a new generation that's been raised to see science fiction as science fact because we have 90% of those inventions today right. that we had in Star Wars. Now we don't have the Millennium Falcon and we don't, they're working on the lightsaber, but we do have everything else. Yeah, we have uh, a we lot do have of lasers. Stuff. Yeah. Right. And if you watch Prophets of Science Fiction on the Science Channel, they did a special, uh, one hour special on Star Wars and what George Lucas did. George Lucas didn't realize that he was going to make such a big film. He just didn't know. You know, he, it was a job just like anybody else had. And the studio backed him. Alan Ladd got behind him. And he was part of that young, savvy group that was coming out of the Hollywood, UCLA, uh, Berkeley, and all that, you know, kind of kind of college, uh, you know, uh, forefront of progressivism and openness. And Lucas and Spielberg, you know, they kind of knew each other. And Lucas gets the funding for Star Wars. And when it comes out, the executives were kind of like, eh, it's not going to make any money. Because before 1977, science fiction didn't make any money. They didn't put money into it. Star Wars changed everything because all of a sudden... It took off. People went to see that movie. I don't know about you, but that was one of the first movies I went to see for the first time in my life four times. 
And back then we right. had to go to physically go to a movie theater to see it. <laughs> I remember. You know, right. And we didn't have VCRs. We didn't have any of this stuff in the home yet. Um, you know, 1977 is also when video games came into the household, but we still didn't have VCRs really yet as a right. common thing. Right, right. So I remember a theater in my hometown that had Star Wars in the theater for three years wow. straight. Yeah. yeah. And, and this brings me to my other point. This movie was seen all over the world, whether you're in, in, a, in an industrialized nation or not, it was seen in Guam, Japan, right. Australia, South Africa. No matter where you went in the world, you saw Star Wars. So a new generation saw Star Wars first, then Star Trek. Right. And Star Trek to them is really a baby boomer brand. Yeah. And I'll, I'll prove okay. this to you. If you watch Prophets of Science Fiction, and you can look this up online, Dr. Michio Keiko, the theoretical physicist, basically said Star Wars initiated a paradigm shift. Right. I, I so, agree. Uh, right. So anybody who's listening, you may realize that before Star Wars, we went to the movies to see Westerns and detective thrillers after Star Wars. And my like dad still 10. watches those. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, John Wayne movies, you know, Bullet with Steve McQueen, you know, right, it's like right. real manly stuff. But after this, guess what? Nothing but science fiction driven movies. And guess what? If you look at the top 10 blockbuster movies over the last 35 years, seven were science fiction driven, except for two. Harry Potter series and Lord of the Rings. Pretty close. And Fantasy. what are the stories? <laughs> yeah. What are the story? What is the main part of this story? And by the way, the most popular TV show right around the late 80s, early 90s was Doogie Howser. Wow. Oh, the kid. So wow. all these stories these children watched and they were raised to believe that young people with technology and the right mentors could battle the evil adults that were trying to destroy them. Wow. And so if you right, look right. at that. That's kind of like the thrust of the story. Yeah. Gets into the psyche of anybody born from 1977 on. They believe in themselves so much that they're going to destroy Voldemort. You know, they're, they're, yeah. they have yeah. the power to do that. Or they, they have a, you know, a, T, a Terminator robot yeah. that can show up. And it's like, I am, yeah. a, you know, it's, it's, I'm covered in an exoskeleton, you know. <laughs> it is, yeah. Because yeah. when you think about it, one of the themes is it's, it's not only they're young, but they're also tech savvy geeks. Right. And right. the hero, which is a complete, right. you know, I'd say 360, but then we'd come back. It's a 180. <laughs> yeah, well, if you, watch, if you watch the very first Jurassic Park movie, uh, when I went to see it in the theater, we were like, oh, my God, look at that. That's amazing. It changed cinema. But right when the kids went to, were the only ones who knew how to solve the computer problem on a Cray computer, <laughs> yeah, right. the whole audience moaned, oh, uh, come on. Because it was another, that was always Steven Spielberg's ploy. The kids are going to save the day. Right. And so us boomers, we just went, you got to be kidding me. Yeah, but, right. But take a look at that. That has changed the psyche and the pictures that are inside the brain of anybody born after 1977. They believe in themselves. They believe that their peer group is what's going to be able to solve the problems. And they're going to use technology, also magic, to get it all done. Right. I like so, that. So just just to, so everybody listening can sort of like put themselves in. Uh, all right. I've, I was born in 69. So that's pre 77. But what is my label? What 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 label should I be grasping at? Because I'm 46. You're a pure Gen Xer. Okay, good. <laughs> and, and I'll tell you what happened in 69. Uh, they canceled Star Trek. In uh, 1969, and uh, three months before we actually landed on the moon in July of 1969. And I watched the moon landing. I watched every single launch of every single rocket and even built the Saturn V seven-stage rocket in my bedroom with the lunar module and everything. Right. I had that. And um, to baby boomers, we were promised that we were going to be living in the moon, on the moon in a dome city by now, and we were going to be flying to work with jet packs. And yeah, the jet Right. And by the year 2000, <laughs> technology was going to solve all our problems. And I was going to be sitting in a command ship. Uh, you know, I was going to be sitting in the command chair of the USS Enterprise battling Klingons in the neutral zone. Yeah, I mean, that's right. It's, and it having sex silly. with green aliens. Yes, there you go. <laughs> and and uh, or at least Lieutenant Uhura. And, so, well, part of, my, part of my future came true. So anyways, right. getting back to this, 
Now, this sounds silly, what we're talking about. It sounds like, well, how could pop culture really influence us? Well, boomers, to a boomer, we were going to land on the moon. We were going to have this future. We were going to be you know, having this wonderful thing because we actually saw the first man land on the moon. Right. It, it became our real. television. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Every television show that was on, not all of them, but most of the, like our Saturday morning cartoons, which by the way, that was the only time a boomer could watch cartoons. <laughs> I remember. Saturday morning <laughs> cartoons uh, are even the shows for us. They all centered around the future is coming and it's going to be awesome. Uh, and so uh, we actually have in the back of our minds this expectation since childhood that it's going to be awesome. We did not get it. We did not right. get that future because we were told life was going to be easier. Uh, you know, you were going to be traveling all over the world. Starvation and hunger was going to be eliminated. Everybody would have a beautiful home. That all was these the Star nonsense. Trek model. The Star Trek Star Wars. <laughs> yes. yes. It was more yeah. of a, it, and, and it's funny too, because prior to that, a lot of science fiction was on the more dystopian dark side. Yes. Yes. And if then Star Trek real, was Star the Trek first was, utopia sort of. Yeah positive based, view of the future yeah it was based on the reality of of us here on earth it was like oh, right. after world after world war three the human race finally got it together and stopped being a bunch of jerks and selfish racism was eliminated and we fought for the survival of the human race until one person invented warp drive and once he did that then the, the vulcans came everybody <laughs> showed up and said okay you can cool you yeah. you could play in our pool <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it, it was yeah. based a little bit in reality, but if you look back at, at Star Trek, uh, you can see that you know they were they were using diskettes. We were doing a little right. screen personal computers. I mean, it was yeah. very progressive. They were made of wood, but you know they, <laughs> they look cool. They look yeah. Cool. Take take a look at the first Apple computers. They look exactly like that that computer setup that uh, Khan was using when he was trying to learn about the Enterprise. Remember? <laughs> the, I do. I I, I uh, was just thinking about that show. <laughs> Bonnie Bay, yes. So it was your fault too. Yes, it was. It was. So but, uh, now, now we've got millennials. You talk about millennials a lot, but yes. basically anybody um, born after 1977, you consider that a digital native. Yes, and then before that is a digital immigrant. It, yes. We all have to be digital now, whether we want to or not. I like right. that. Right, right. So, but what's going on with uh, with Gen X? Because being a pure Gen Xer, it seems like I've got some inroads on both sides of this equation, really. I mean, you're Switzerland. You're I am Switzerland. a bit of Switzerland. Yeah, because. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you're Let's the, talk a little bit about Gen X. Gen X is actually cynical. And some of you are sitting there going, what do you mean I'm cynical? <laughs> Uh, I'm not cynical. You know, <laughs> and I get it because I'm a cuss boomer. I'm right at the edge of that that generation. You know, right, I was right. raised on KC and the Sunshine Band, and my brother who was 12 years older than me. He was raised on the Vietnam War. I mean, big difference in psychological right. you know, influences. But for Gen X, you were the first generation to really be the latchkey kids. Um, you know, both parents started working. A mom wasn't home anymore. Before that, mom usually could have stayed home. You could have the American dream for $35,000 a year's salary, <clears throat> and you only needed a high school diploma. Right. You could own a house, buy a car, and save 11% of your paycheck. Go work for one of the car companies or something. Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, fast forward, you were the first generation to really be exposed to developments, and uh, mom and dad had to work now because two salary incomes were, were going Required. to become the, right. the norm. Yeah. And then uh, the other thing is, is you were showing some of your, your anger in the bands that you choose, and the grunge movement began with the Red Hot Chili Peppers and Nirvana and Kirk. Cobain and, and uh, Pearl Jam, these bands were kind of saying, hey, we're tired of the BS. Uh, yeah. Let's let's really be, yeah, you know, rocking it out. It was, and, it was like a, a revision of punk, essentially. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. It was a, and uh, uh, punk was a political yeah. movement towards the uh, British Empire <laughs> yeah. for, for not uh, respecting its citizens. And the young people came along and said, we're tired of being taxed to death. We're tired of, you know, you guys controlling everything and wars and all this other stuff. So what they did is they, they rebelled. 
Yeah. And when it got to the United States, it wasn't about political rebellion. It was about, oh man, I can have pink hair. You know, it, <laughs> you know it's funny. Uh, we, we, we always seem to miss the boat when it comes to real political activism. So what, what happened is you now have Gen Xers who are frustrated, angry, but we're not protesting the way they are in the rest of the world. Instead, we're going to see the Goonies, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I, you I know, remember I'm trying, to make, I'm trying to make this funnier, but here's where the shift really started to take place. Again, before 1977, we worshipped heroes in our culture. The quarterback, yeah. uh, you know, the fighter pilot, John Wayne, you know, all this nonsense, you know, sure. about the... Uh, and Patton. now, yeah, Patton. <laughs> and now John Hughes started making movies like 16 Candles, uh, you know, The Breakfast Club. And now, and, and I'm just using this as a word, it's not a harsh judgment, but the, <clears throat> the loser in society was now more interesting and those stories were brought to the forefront. Mm. So now you had the guy who was in drama club that nobody knew who he was and he was sort of weird and now, uh, you know, the, the, the person who does drugs, all the dropouts, the people who didn't fit into the mold of the hero uh, now became the hero in movies. And now you had uh, people who were playing video games. The kid who sat in the corner that everybody used to pick on was now a hero in the video game world. So now we shifted everything to brain power, intellectual power, instead of physical power. Yeah. Everything shifted now. And that's why we all now work for, you know, Microsoft and Zappos yeah. and companies like that instead of Bethlehem Steel. Right. We shifted from muscle to intellect. And video games now are so mainstream. I mean, I don't know yeah. how many billion dollar industry video games are. When I was a kid, uh, if, you know, people would pick on you if you played video games. Oh, it, it, would, it would be like, you're a pariah. <laughs> I, I was the cool nerd because um, I was in Drumline, but I liked Star Trek. You know, that yeah. that was – nobody picked on the Drumline. Uh, they picked <laughs> on everybody in band, but not drummers because we could hit you with sticks. Uh, <laughs> Perfect. But, uh, yeah, and and some of and our our high school was very progressive because we had football players that would run out at halftime to play trombone for band and then run back in to come back on the field. Wow. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, the only big guys can carry tubas. Hello. Uh, so, <laughs> bottom line is, um, video games had a huge influence. That's what people don't uh, realize. And also, because uh, Gen X, you guys were kind of being raised on your own, alone. You know, microwave cooking you know, <laughs> you know yeah. quick, quickie dinners, right. you were forming your own little group separating from mom and dad. The word teenager didn't exist before the 1950s. That was a marketing term that was invented because teens started to separate from mom and dad in the family unit, get cars, have jobs, and go to the, the malt shop to, you know, hang out. So And the mall. The, and Yeah, so we started to separate more and more. So with Gen X, you were the first, you're really the in-between generation. You have a lot of boomer traits. We, you saved for retirement. You obeyed all the rules. You showed up on time. You wore a suit and tie. You made the boomer boss happy. And now your boomer boss is kicking your corpse off to the side in order to shake hands with the millennial and the Gen Yer because they don't listen. They don't obey any rules. And that scares them on a subconscious level. So I see a lot of frustration and anger amongst Gen X right now inside the companies because millennials are getting all the attention and Gen X really should be in more of the leadership roles now and they're not getting them. Uh, yeah, yeah. I was, know. yeah. I'm, I'm thinking that because we, we have like a, a, I can totally relate to a lot of the, the things that I think millennial and Gen Yers um, are doing and into. <coughs> I, 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 I but I'm I'm not all the way there. I, I understand that. You, but you have to you have to obey rules. You're yeah, not into this right. sort of amorphous way of living. And the, and that whole speed. You know, I think if there's one thing that I would say that they just go so fast. <laughs> you know, every they did that. Um, I'm a I'm a Cyberdyne 2000 with an exoskeleton. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. Uh, they they pretty much are. Yeah, uh, you have to realize I, they make you, you feel know, old. Is what I was getting. <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't like to go down that road. <laughs> well, think about it. You uh, and I, well, mostly me, I didn't pick up my first computer. Well, I worked on computers maybe when I was uh, 24, 23, 24, right. and around there. But I really didn't get immersed in computer technology and bought my first Apple II CI until I was about 28 years old. So that wow. means yeah. I had all this time before I actually learned computer skills. Sure. So most boomers will tell you they didn't pick up a computer until they were 30 or 40 years of age. Right. Okay? right, right. So that means we are emulating what we're watching everybody else do. So we learned those computer programs at a time when we only had 28K modems and, you know, we had to wait till the, the actual software program fired up. You know, yeah, yeah. we didn't have a mainframe server in companies. Everybody had it loaded onto their desktop because you just could, it was too slow. You could upsave your, your work, but sometimes you'd have to wait an hour for that because it was just so slow. The network was so slow. Mm, so yeah. we, that's why we're digital immigrants, even though you may think you have mastered, let's say, WordPerfect or PowerPoint. You now have a generation that's come along that they learn to re, uh, let's say, they learn to manipulate digital information before they could read, write, or in some cases even speak. So it's part of, it's part of their formative right. portion of their brain stem. Yeah. Uh, so technology, uh, Marianne Wolf wrote a book called Proust and the Squid, the story and the science of the reading brain. <clears throat> and she discovered that we learn to speak, let's say, Spanish or English as babies by hanging out with our parents. We just sure. pick it up ubiquitously by being around them. It's like osmosis. Then we go into the school system. We learn to read and write that language. That is something we don't just pick up naturally. We have to be taught it. And then later on in life, we learn how to drive a car and then use a computer. These are more complex things that we learn to master, and it takes time, and it's very linear in its process. But along came a new generation to learn to manipulate all this digital information before they could read, write, and speak. So technology is actually a language at the base of the brainstem for millennials. Wow. That's what it so is. So basically, yeah. they get that. Uh, I just talked to uh, an expert in uh, um, like brain chemistry. So she mm -hmm. talked a, a lot about uh, myelin. And that's like the, the stuff that I guess it's like 8 to 18-year-olds. That's mm -hmm. the, the chemical in the brain that makes those super highways, but it only happens from eight to 18. And then after that, it slows down and now you've got these super highways. So those, yes. those guys, their super highways are all iOS Different. and Android. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. Get down. Uh, you have to realize uh, their brains have been formed differently. Yeah. They've been raised differently. And we now sit here and expect them to do everything the way we were taught. Yeah, that's to huge, too. The, uh, it's impossible. Uh, it's impossible for the, them the to be like us. The student-centered sort of... Oh, yeah. You want to go into it? Yeah, well, let, let's let, get into let it. Me, let, let me finish up real quick on what sure, you learn sure. in a video game. What do you learn okay. in a video game? Because this was the biggest uh, influence that has ever taken place from one generation to the next. I'm the generation that sits down and watches TV, listens to the radio, sits in my car and listens to eight-track tapes. And that's based on... <laughs> that's based on sit down, shut up, and listen. Yes. Okay. Now, you have a new generation that came along, and Ted Turner said, hey, young people aren't watching old black and white movies. Let's colorize them. And they lost millions because right. they didn't take into account video games. And video games is an interactive media uh, medium that uh, this next generation dominates with. That's why they are digital natives. They're gamers. They, they all, almost all of them play some sort of online game or multi uh, user multiplayer role-playing game. Mm -hmm. And these take years to master. They have all the subtext. They work as teams, things like this. So the thing that you learn when you go into a video game is this. You do not read a manual on how to play the game. You leap in and make mistakes. Boomers right. were taught if you make mistakes, your That's career's bad. over. Ah, this man. generation, yeah. I make mistakes. That's how I learn. Isn't it so cool I made all that mistake? Right. So they rush to get their work done, yeah. but they make a lot of mistakes. Yeah. Boomers take our time. We're so slow because we want perfection before we finish our work because we want to do it right the first time. That's sure. it. That's a different so paradigm. You, yeah, we're facing an opposite direction. It's okay. Mm. The other thing is, is that leadership is rotational in a video game. You rely on skill set. Everyone is a peer. There are no yeah. authority figures. It's peer-to-peer -peer network. 
And once you save, you know, you kill the trolls, you storm the castle, you save the princess, forget everything you just learned because at the next level, the rules change. Yeah. Yeah. See what, what, you, be- what you knew before is no longer applies. Right. Uh, so does this, does this behavior sound familiar? It does. And here's <laughs> the thing. This is, it's, I didn't realize this was going to be as cool as, uh, as I, uh, you know, it's turning out to be, but Good. we, we had already talked about how cool valve is as a company. And yes. one of my favorite valve games is a game called portal. And I don't know if you're familiar <laughs> with portal. No. Um, well, you know, Oh yes, 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 yes! I've seen it. I haven't played it. You should. That is really cool. It's super that, cool. It's super you cool. Jump, you, you can use portals to either uh, escape or kill, and, and you jump through them, and then it, it's different every time. Am, am well, I correct? It's, 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 it's yeah. It's like a non uh, first person non shooter, I guess. It, but it's it's a three D puzzle essentially. Right. Cool. Um, yeah. And so you've got this gun. And you shoot the gun and it's got two, it's got an input output portal, right? So uh, if you point it at a, a wall and you shoot it, it'll, you'll make one portal, right? right? And then you can go all the way over there to way across the map, shoot another portal. And if you jump through the input, you come out the output. So that's the, the general. That's amazing. Pu- it is amazing. Okay. That is. But the, well, Valve, the, Valve is an amazing company. The even more fun part about it was, was they had a, a co-op mode where you and a bunny play together <laughs> as little robots, right? And, I played with my buddy a gajillion times on Xbox, and he's like a little bit older than me, maybe a couple years older than me, but right. his mode was very, very cautious. Yeah. And he never wanted his little robot to die, <laughs> where I would just jump in and start flailing right. around, <laughs> right? And, and where we're risk averse. That's right. Boomers are all right. risk averse. When you go to the com- uh, all the the video game conferences, boomers stand in the corner like this. You know. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, yeah. Yeah. And, and everybody else, like your generation, on leaps in and just starts playing. Now I'm a little different. I don't mind making a fool out of myself, losing and being a what they call a noob. Right. You know? right. But, but if you're going to be elite. <laughs> If you're going to be elite like you are with Portal, I think it's uh, it's fun. It's <laughs> what's what's elite? What does that mean? I'm not. I'm that not means you're an elite. That. You're an elite player who gets wow. the rules and knows how yeah, everything's yeah. going. So you're elite, L I T E, and oh. you hate when noobs show up, which noob. are new 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 people. Yeah, or yeah, boobs. yeah. I I know noobs. That one yeah. I've heard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a we. I actually wrote an article with Rob Hirschfeld called "The Difference Between Elites and Noobs in the Workplace," because the boomer, <laughs> the boomer is kind of like the the noob right. when it comes to the technology. Even though they may have invented some of this technology, they have not been immersed in actually using it. Right. So they're they when they approach work in in this traditional old-fashioned way and in comes the millennial they see them as noobs not as elites <laughs> right totally and so i get the older it because person they, is, is a noob and they have yeah. this whole language that is not only you know i used to think i had a leg up because i did spend a lot of time playing those multiplayer games like uh the first one was like doom and then quake and yes. all of those online games, and you're constantly texting each other, you know, with these, these little LOLs and good game and GG and, yeah. and all these little, like, shorthand text things. Um, but then I stopped, and, and I didn't have a, a, a cell phone forever. So then I became a noob <laughs> yet again. And I'm a noob now because I've taken a break. Uh, 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 At least you have the guts to admit it. <laughs> it's the first step. When I go to boards now, I go to noob boards. <laughs> let, uh, let me tell you a story. Um, uh, some of you who are listening in may know this. I started one of the first dot-com agencies back in the 90s. And we grew exponentially. Like within three years, we were public. We had 60 employees. So one night I'm in the office late. And uh, I closed the door and I'm working on some strategy for the next day. And all I hear are these gunshots and explosions. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? Now, I, I grew up around guns, so I knew it wasn't real. 
real, but I wandered down the hall, and one of our top programmers, John Balistrieri, he got on Doom, and he you have to realize, this is like 95, 96, yeah. in there, there. Right, right. And, uh, so that was Doom playing, 2, probably. He, yeah, he was playing <laughs> Doom 2, uh, and he was showing me how the graphics were great, but he was on a T1, and he was killing these guys from France at the time, and I just went... Because he was a low-paying bastard. <laughs> yeah, and, and, guess, and guess what happened? Guess what happened? Because he was on a T1, which nobody had back then, he was yeah. crushing everybody. Right. He was dominating. He was like, ah, yeah. you know, guns and killing. And I said, all right, all right. You know, I'm trying to be all serious, but that was probably about the coolest thing I started to see was this, uh, now you could connect with people all over the world and share playtime together, mm-hmm. which, by the way, a lot of boomers don't know what's going on. <laughs> so true. So true. So let's talk a little bit about um, this uh, this student-centered parenting slash education. Because sure. uh, I was telling you, uh, yeah, that, that time that I spent in elementary school uh, there, um, yeah, this school was not student-centered. They were, you know, yeah. the shut up and color mode. Well, and that's, that yeah. wave is passed. Well, some people still feel that we've lost touch with that wave. We have to get back to that. That's what it is. Well, what they don't realize is the Pandora's box has been open. And what it has opened us up to is you have students now that are creating and coming up with ideas that the adults just can't handle. They yeah. can create apps. You know, I know 17-year-olds that have developed apps. So this this idea of of opening up the, the mind and being creative and doing all these things rather than sitting under a controlled box of hierarchy, that really is is over. It's, and yeah. and and this this goes back to 1977. You know, my father, <laughs> he had a PhD in in uh, chiropractic medicine and a bachelor's in chemistry, and he heard about this thing called child centric parenting, and he looked at me. I was 17 at the time, and he goes, "You know, this is a load of crap, don't you?" <laughs> <laughs> and that's how boomers see all this. But a lot of boomers started to become friends with their children as they were growing up. They wanted to be mentors. They wanted to make sure that they had a better childhood than they did and and instead of me walking to band carrying a drum through dangerous neighborhoods now they got driven to soccer practice and they got driven to dance lessons parents as chauffeur yeah right and so what happened is inside every household parents were encouraged to treat their children like part of the unit as an equal Mm -hmm. so conversation the hierarchy flattened basically and mom and dad became peers and mentors and shepherds and chauffeurs and they started to look their kid in the eye and have these crazy conversations that my father would just look at me and go are you kidding me but they would look at their kids and go hey billy should mommy and daddy get a divorce what do you think buddy (laughs) or uh or, uh, uh, you know, or no. should, should should mommy? What kind of car should mommy and daddy drive? What should we do with our careers? You know, I mean, these it sounds insane, and we're laughing and all this, but this is what it really happens. happened. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and then they went into the school, and they were encouraged to talk to their teacher the same way. The teacher now lost all authority and lost all power. They weren't allowed to touch the child uh, because of a few bad teachers who didn't know how to control their tempers. Right, and. What happened is now the child was encouraged to call the the teacher by her first name and go, "Hey Becky, how's it going? Good to see you." You know, and <laughs> you got and, that voice down. Yeah, yeah, I've done this a hundred yeah. times. So uh, <laughs> uh, all of a sudden, the kid would look up and go, "As he go, well, what, what do you want to do today, Sarah? You know, I really am not feeling math. Let's do art today. What do you think, Becky? You know, and so they could cherry pick their curriculum. They could tell the teacher what to do. Oh, and by the way, right and wrong and punishment were removed. Right. So kids were allowed to, you know, I hate to be crass, but rubs feces on the wall if they felt like it. And then the teachers would go, oh, aren't they? They're just, they're, they're so mis- creative. Uh, they're creative. And then the kids, <laughs> the kids who really were bored to tears uh, with the curriculum and probably had a very advanced mind were put on Paxil and Ritalin and Zoloft. So you, you had this crazy thing that would happen. And then. How long has that been going on? That's been going on probably for 20 years. Wow. And, 
And what started to happen, I started to hear reports that would make me go, are you kidding me? But what happened is these young people would now become adults and come out of college right around 93, 94, and head into the corporate world and go right up to the CEO. And they didn't get the memo in the the corporate world. (laughs) The CEO did not get the memo and the young person coming right out of college didn't get the memo that you don't do certain things. And they'd walk up right to the CEO and they go, hey, Chet, how about if I show you how to run this place, buddy? Because I learned it in college. What do you say we do lunch? Hey, and they'd slap them on the back and Chet would turn around and fire them. And they'd be, <laughs> and they'd be confused. And HR, and guess what happened in HR departments? Uh, you know, uh, some young guy, you know, or gal wouldn't get the raise they were, they should have gotten, you know, because this round, uh, they were evaluated. They weren't exactly up there and we can't afford to give them a raise this year. So let them wait another year. Well, guess what happened? They quit. No. Oh. Their mother would come down to the HR department and pound on the door and demand to talk to the head of HR. Why did Jessica not get the raise that she was entitled to? Now, Jessica's 26 years of age. And the only reason Jessica got the job is because her mother dropped their resume off the year before. So (laughs) what happened is we had parents now become um, the the protectors, the... the, uh, Advocate. The advocate, the fighter, everything. And my generation, you sank or swam. Yeah. Who cares? You're you're yeah. out the door. Figure it out on your own, buddy. You know, that was my dad's <laughs> thing. You have three choices in this household. Get a job and pay room and board, or you can go to college and I'll try and help you. And it's like, well, what's the third choice, Dad? You can pack up and get out of here, buddy. <laughs> you know? I'm like, but, but, hey, my house, my rules. Right, oh, and right. uh, by the way, um, don't tell your mother we had this conversation, okay? Right, <laughs> you know? right, right. And that, my father was tough, and that's how it was. Sure. There, there was no other way. But now you have a new generation that was like, hey, don't leave. You stay in this house as long as you want. So we took away all that Puritan uh, work ethic. You know, get up early. You should fear authority. Hurry up and get it done. You need to watch your career, buddy, and, and be strategic. Don't screw up and all this we took all that away when we raised the next generation and now we expect them to be exactly like us when it comes to success and work yeah, yeah and work and life there are no more defined age defined uh career uh benchmarks anymore like at 20 you're supposed to be in the mail room 30 you're supposed to start managing and having right. kids and buying a house and at 40 you should be doing this we now That's have 40 year olds yeah, right yeah. we have 40 year olds riding skateboard to work and that 40 year old riding skateboard to work might be a multimillionaire. Yeah. Right. That's what's happened. Right. Yes. Right. Right. So now let's talk a little bit about the, uh, when it works well examples. And I've already brought up one, um, valve. So talk right. about what, what it's like to work at valve because they're one of my, I wish they kept making games they've stopped making games now, basically. And they've well, got they, this, they've got this engine, you know, but, uh, and their platform, well, but well, let's let's put it. The reason we laid all the groundwork is so that anybody listening will understand why we're giving so much uh, attention to millennials, Gen Y, and even Gen X. Yeah. Uh, why are we giving so much attention to them? Why can't we go back to the old days, whoop their butts and it's make over. them sit yeah. there and fire them? <laughs> and you will have an empty office because if you yell at a millennial, not only will that person quit within a week or two, their buddies will quit. Everybody in the organization will right. quit. So you'll have an, in not only an empty office, at some point word will spread and you won't even have a customer. Okay, so, and I'm not saying be afraid, uh, but just be more realistic. This generation wants to be engaged. They know they are the consumer as well as the employee at the same time. They know their power. So if you want to reinvent your company... You can't you can't have hierarchy anymore. Now some companies are going to have to stay in that traditional, you know, loop. You know, like an auto mechanic or you know uh, a group that that has to get a certain amount of product out at a certain time all day long. Yeah, Te- technology will be used as the support structure. But if you truly want to create breakthrough ideas, innovate, and actually reinvent your company, because some companies, the reason they're struggling is they do need to move faster. That old hierarchy doesn't work. That pyramid. Yeah. Uh, you the know chain who, of command. 
Right. Well, Frederick Winslow Taylor was one of the very first uh, business consultants back in the 1800s and into the 1900s. And he said some pretty arrogant things. Like he said, workers are cattle and they should be treated as such. And unfortunately, in a lot of the business schools, they still have that mentality. Well, I'm the CEO and you need to kneel before Zod. (laughs) And yeah. Yeah. And what they don't realize is that young person was not only raised to work faster, be digital, but they've also been through the osmosis of gameplay and being treated like adults. They actually are better at business than you are. Right. Uh, because they're on the front lines. They have to look at a usability study. They have to understand what people like before they create. You know, I mean, it's, it, there's so many things that we can't even cover in 45 minutes to an hour as to what they're capable of doing right this second. So companies that really get it, what they're doing is they're giving these young people environments to open up and create and blossom. And when you do that, and I've done this personally, when you can get people to know that they're liked, they're appreciated, and they're supported, they will do anything to make that company their own. And companies like Valve and Zappos, they really do that. They say, hey, this is your company. You make it the way you it should look. But we're going to give you a set of five to ten rules. And that's it. No more thick employee handbook. Right. So I suggest everybody go out and Google this, uh, the, the Valve Employee Handbook, just like it sounds, V-A-L-V-E, mm-hmm. Valve Employee Handbook. And it's, it's just phenomenal what they say. And I, lo- I love what it says on the first page. It basically says, an adventure in knowing what to do when no one is telling you what to do. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> now think about that for a second. It, it, the old model was really a parent paradigm. Somebody had to oversee you and make sure you were doing your work. Hey, buddy, you better have that done. You know, let me see your TPS reports. You know, you forgot to put your cover you, on your TPS. You better, yeah, you, be, you better have that package in Peoria, Ponzer, or you're going to be fired. You know, right? And and so, um, what that required is when the boss was there, the person worked. When the boss was not there, what did the person do? Sit around and pick their nose. Yeah, and and do and do imitations of their boss, you know, right. to the to the group. I have no idea anybody who does that. Uh, but anyways, I've never seen that happen. Never, and never uh, waste time on Facebook. And everybody stops working, or it slows down, and then the boss comes back in on Monday morning, and it's like nothing got done. And then the attitude comes from upper management that nothing can get done unless I do it myself. Right. Now, is this truly an adult work environment? Probably not. No, right. The new method is you bring a person in, and Zappos is doing this right now. They're retooling their entire organization to be a holacracy, which means there's no managers. But you do now have to train people, retrain them on what is expected of them. And maybe it's just five sets of rules. You need to self-manage yourself. You need to look for your own team and the projects you find interesting enough to work on. If you don't feel you can contribute to that team, get the hell out of there and go to another team Mm -hmm. where they appreciate your skill sets. Also, people don't realize in these teams, they eat their own young. If you don't keep up, you don't meet deadlines, you don't do it. Yeah. They will kick you out. And you're by not the way, getting fired. You're just moving, basically. You're getting pushed out. And basically, yeah. out of the uh, team. Exactly. And yeah. these are more uh, adult work environments because you have to manage yourself. You have to show up on time. You yeah. have to put out the work you want. And it's really about being uh, respectful to the team. It's, you know, yeah, if the it, team it expects you to. like an NFL situation. Right. Right. I mean, there's this sort of like respectful competition. That that spurs you know growth. So the you got your veterans, the non noobs, <laughs> the leets. <Yeah. laughs> you taught me something. The leets are there already, and you yeah. come in there and you're like, "Hey, I'm a noob, but I want to help." Right. right. <laughs> if you can, if you can work your way in there and produce, and right. and with yeah, I'm sure there's some sort of millennial sort of deference, you know, but it's skill and passion based, right? Right. 
And, yeah, well, yeah. It's, it's not every, like, oh, I have to bow to you. Right. Because well, the, hi- the old hierarchy model is based on age and experience. Right. And you, and you hoarded knowledge. So the guy yeah, at the yeah. top of the pyramid has all the knowledge. Yeah. Well, because of technology and a generation that knows technology intuitively, guess where all that knowledge is? It's at the bottom now. It's not at the top. This right. guy doesn't know half of what's going on. Right. So at the bottom, so you have to flatten the hierarchy in your organization. Welcome to Flatland is what they say in Valve, uh, Valve's handbook. You have to flatten that hierarchy. Uh, uh, Rob Hirschfeld and I, Rob, actually, uh, we met uh, through my book. He found my book down in Texas, and he was uh, one of the lead cloud architects for Dell. And he started reading my book, and he's like, oh my goodness, this is everything we're dealing with here. So we became friends and we started blogging together on blog posts and we came up with this analogy of the way the old management system works. It's almost like being in an orchestra and you have a conductor. Yeah. And that conductor controls every performance and it must be the same every time. Mm -hmm. The best performers move up to first chair. Those are always the ones that are on the outside facing the audience almost. They're the, the very first person. That's why it's called first chair. You work your tail off to get to first chair. And once somebody gets first chair, the only way you're going to get first chair is if they die <laughs> or, or they're sick. Okay, they, they earn that spot of that chair. The chair is equivalent to the corner Corner office office. to a boomer. Right. So now they're in there. Now the conductor's job, he only allows improvisation from one or two people during a performance. And as soon as that improv, they decide, well, okay, we've had enough improv. We cut it off immediately. They sit down and the crowd applause and it's perfect. So now fast forward to today's work environment and it's more like jazz and jazz. Really you get the same training as you did if you wanted to be a traditional musician. But here's the difference. The way you contribute to the performance is different. There are mentors and there are leaders, but their leadership is rotational. The older, wiser leaders in there are to be there to, on off hours, show how to play better, how to be around other people, how to make that performance customizable and better. And every performance is unique and different. And what happens is they share the limelight. The chair gets moved and shared and it goes back and forth. And one person who's learned to play trumpet and they're only 28 years old, they get excited. They finally do that great performance and they're like, I did it. And then they leave that group. They choose to leave that group to go to a better group because they want a better performance and they want to. And so this is all moving and it looks like a cacophony. But when you know that there's a mission behind why you're doing what your people on track. So you don't really need rules. What you need is to give people that 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 mission driven work environment goals, that allows themes them, almost themes, themes goals yeah. that allow them to open up and perform. And guess what? If they don't try to perform, I've been a jazz musician. When you're around better jazz musicians, you work very hard to come up to their level, their caliber. Right. So you will do anything to impress them. You will do anything to work and learn. You'll even hang out with them after hours and go, show me how to do this better. Yeah, 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 yeah. So there's no, there's no nine to five in a jazz world. And imagine you have somebody who wakes up at two o'clock in the morning and they're excited about a project and they go, I have an idea. And they write it out. They bring it to the team. They stay up all night to do it. They drop it off at 10 o'clock in the morning and they go back and go to bed. Now under the boomer paradigm of the hierarchy, that person would eventually get fired if they kept doing that. But under the jazz analogy that we talked about, you're going to sit there and go, Wow. This is incredible. How about if you run this department that you proposed to to (laughs) create? Right, right, right. You know, and I mean, I love it. You know, it's very hard to let go, but I've done this. When I started K2, I realized I was firing people because they weren't obeying me, the boomer, the almighty boomer who knows everything. And I realized, oh my God, they're different than us. I better shut up and learn. And so instead, I started to acquiesce and create teams, a creative teams that would include a production manager, a designer, a creative director who was also a design person and a creative director who was a a writing person and a programmer to see if we could build any of it and let them do what they do best and they always wowed me always that's amazing so when when basically when you've got the the bridge when you bridge the 
the generational gaps of communication and, and you kind of like get the noobs <laughs> on you're both gonna, sides. You're going to use that all day. Yeah, yeah. Well, because, you know, really, you know, you can uh, like a Gen Xer like me, right? Yeah. And, and our friend listening in their car, um, they have an opportunity to work both sides. They can oh, say, yeah. hey, look, yes. look, I can help you, millennial, because, you know, here here's a, a way to talk to old guy. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I'm old guy. You got it. You but got I, it. I understand you. And then I'm going to say, sir, uh, let me tell you a little bit about these young folks, you know, and hey, be all respectful, hey, you know. <laughs> hey, bucko. Yeah. Uh, right, right. Yeah, because well, we've got I, those I, sucking up skills required to talk to. <laughs> totally, but I, I want anybody who's listening to really understand this. These are not boxes, rigid boxes to fit people into. Because right. I have more millennial traits, even though I'm a boomer. But I've also met millennials who act exactly like a boomer, and and they don't get their generation. You know, uh, try starting your own business, and you'll learn very quickly that uh, you know when you're the chief cook and bottle washer at the end of the day, and your staff just walk out, you're going to get pretty upset and realize there's no structure here. We have to create, you know, something. Yeah. So uh, I know a millennial who now fully understands what's going on because he started his own business and uh, he realizes I can't find a decent millennial, someone my own age who knows what the heck they're doing, you know. Um, so you, that will change your perspective on things. That will change the dynamic. And my, if I can just say this, the one thing I want companies to really understand and individuals to understand is when we go to work, most of us don't really want to go to work. It's just a habit that we've been taught that, well, if you want the house, you want a car, this is yeah. what you want to do. Yeah, so yeah. when I hear uh, bigwigs and companies start talking, it's like, yeah, this kid, this guy did amazing work, and he did all this. They're not working for you, bro. They're they are working their tail off to have the American dream or whatever's left of it. And right. if you truly want to see people really engage and want to stay there because they want to at their core, yeah, then you've got to create a new environment that they appreciate. Because most people, this is why these C level executives are shocked when they train somebody for three years and the guy just gets up and goes, you know what? I'm tired of making 120 grand a year. I'm going to go play my guitar in a band and uh, I'm going to, I'm going to start tutoring people on the side. I did it. I did yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I, I was, yeah. uh, uh, I was going to bring this up because like, uh, 2011, I quit my six figure job to go back to school. Right. You know, I was, uh, re I'm retired air force. Nice. Yeah. So I already have a half a paycheck. I only need like another half. There so, you go. So far my wife hasn't left. <laughs> she still loves you. She still loves me. Apparently, you know, as long yes. as I, as long as I work occasionally. <clears throat> so, but what, uh, the comment I'm, I'm making now is now when I do work, it's temp work. And I love right. it. And here's what I like about temp work, because if you have a job job, there's that, especially in government service, that's basically what I was doing was going back and saying, hey, I used to be in the Air right. Force. Give me a job. They sit you in a cube and, you know, you, you spend a lot of time, you know, twiddling your thumbs, you know, trying to come up with things to do um, and, you know, hitting roadblocks all the time. Yes. Where, with, when they hire you as a temp you know, they, they don't let temp sit around and do nothing. It doesn't nope. happen. <laughs> and I you love that. I love it. it. You, you go in, you get it done and you're working with young people, which was amazing. Um, yeah. and, and even when they're not telling you what to do, like my last gig, um, they were like, well, you know, now you're here and we don't have anything for you to do. So you better figure something out or we'll find somebody else that might. Right. right. <laughs> So there you go. It was fun. It was a yeah. it was a blast. Yeah, I, I've always back in the day. That's how I would start out. I'd get a temp agency to hire me and to send me places as a designer. You know, I'm twenty something years old and I'm running around doing. I'm in the New York City. I mean, how cool is that? And it really is a big adventure. You know? Yeah, that's fun. <laughs> Thanks, Brad. This has been awesome. Thank you, Jeff. I had a great time. <laughs> yeah, I, I, the one word I have to say for everybody is it's time to reinvent yourself. 
Yes. That really is what's happening. We're in the middle of a revolution, and a lot of people don't know we're in the middle of a revolution. But it's good news. Is, yeah, it's, it's very good really news. good news. And I'm, yeah. I'm going to take that PDF and put it in the show notes, if you're cool with that. that, that I'm very cool. Yeah, yeah, the chart, the behavioral yeah, yeah, yeah. chart. Right. Yeah. So yeah, let's go through that. your stuff while we're online with you, in case I screw any of it up, because, you know, I'm a, I'm a bit of a noob. Okay, so your blog is at liquidleadership.com. Did I get that right? Yes, you did. And Correct. then you've got another website, uh, Brad Zollis. Zollis, and that is spelled S Z O L L O S E dot com. Yeah. All right. There you go. And then on Twitter, you're at Brad Zollis on Twitter. And you can also Liquid Leadership. Yeah, just go to Liquid Leadership. That's the quickest way to find me. Right. And I have a few, I have a video channel on YouTube as well. Okay. I have one with a Christopher Walken impersonation on there. And I talk a little bit about reinventing business in the 21st century. Wow. That's pretty good. You know, I worked for years. To learn how to do it, <laughs> you got it. You got it. You got to learn that little soliloquy from uh, uh, I, Pulp Fiction, the one you, with the, the hunk of metal you up see, your ass. <laughs> you see, you see this watch, little man? Your father gave it to me. <laughs> Perfect. I carried, I carried this this hunk of metal <laughs> up my butt <laughs> three years. Now, if I had died, your father would be having this speech with my little man. <laughs> That's good. That's good. I love it. Wow. Thank you, it, Jeff. It's all it's all cadence plus New York. Well, if you ever listen to Christopher Walken in interviews, he takes a punctuation out of all his scripts. <laughs> and then he plants himself. He'll always go. You know, he just, he sits and he puts his hands down and he, and he uses his hands a lot. He goes, you know, I fly the Millennium Falcon and it did the, the Kessel Run in 12 parsecs. <laughs> you know, and that's, that's how he does it. You know, I'm having some fun, but it's sort of like, uh, yeah. I love I do it. That with, I, you know, I do all the kinds of impersonations on stage when I do my keynotes and trainings because um, a lot of times the boomers, uh, humor is a great tool for teaching. And a lot of times people will remember my father's voice is in everything I do. You know, you need to shut up and sit down, buddy boy. You know, that's my dad. And um, they really remember those things so that like a year or two later, I get phone calls or emails from somebody in uh, a corporate audience and they say, you know, we're still talking about your presentation two years later. Yeah. So, you you know, it sounds silly and it sounds fun. And I hope a lot of people who are listening today did get a few chuckles, but also learn so much uh, as to why we are changing and get ready, by the way, for Generation Z. They aren't even locked into a structure, so get ready. (laughs) (laughs) That'll be part two with with, uh, Brad on Vroom Vroom Veer. Yes. All right. Thank you, sir. You have a great day. You too. Enjoy that weather in New York. Yeah, well, it's getting a little cloudy, so we're going to go out to Ah. dinner, my wife and I probably, do something fun. Cool. All right. Enjoy. Thank you. Hasta la vista. Thanks for taking the time to ride along with us on another episode of Vroom Vroom Veer. For podcast info and show notes, be sure to head over to vvveer.com. That's triple V double E-R.com. Man, that's fun to say. And we'll catch up with you next time here on Vroom Vroom Veer.